0: Hello, and welcome to the first edition of the Disrupt Podcast, the new fortnightly podcast brought to you by the team at Disrupt Africa, co-hosted by myself, Gabriella Mulligan,
1: and me, Tom Jackson. You're probably already getting your daily dose of news on Africa's exciting tech startup ecosystems from disruptafrica.com. And now we're we'll bringing you Disrupt Podcast, wrapping up all the major developments from the last few weeks and digging into the key issues with special guests.
0: This is a new initiative and a new way of accessing Disrupt Africa content, Created by us for you. So let us know what you think, so we can ensure the Disrupt podcast meets your needs in the way the website has done for the last six and a half years. Enough of the formalities, let's get into the big news stories of the last few weeks. Interesting developments this month in Nigeria, where flagship African agritech startup Farm Crowdy ventured into the e-commerce space with Farm Crowdy Foods. Yele Badamosi, founder of early-stage VC firm Microtraction, launched his crypto-based payments platform, Bundle, with backing from Binance, and logistics startup, Aron, confirmed it will build two drone ports to power its drone-based delivery service. If
1: we had launched Disrupt Podcast at any other time, we probably would be reporting more of the same across the continent. But there's no getting away from the fact that the COVID-19 crisis colours everything, and much of the activity in the startup space was in some way or other related to the coronavirus. We've had the inevitable variety of hackathons, virtual ones obviously, run by everyone from Seed Stars to Ventures Platform, Ghana Tech Lab to Cairo Angels.
0: More tangible support is on offer to those with solutions potentially relevant to the outbreak. Healthcare incubator VilGro Kenya is to fund and support solutions tackling COVID, while US VC firm Enigma Ventures has launched a $1 million fund to support African startups building solutions for the post-pandemic world.
1: African startups have also been busy repurposing their platforms with COVID in mind. Kenya's Ilara Health has launched a readiness package that would allow peri-urban clinics and pharmacies to be the first line of defence against the pandemic. Ghana's FastRx has launched self-checker and contact tracing platforms. Nigeria's Beat Drone, which usually uses drones to spray agricultural land, has been contracted by a Nigerian state government to help in the fight against the virus by spraying disinfectant.
0: COVID-19 is more than just a health crisis. It's also an economic one. Ecosystem stakeholders have been involved in attempting to combat the economic fallout from a world in lockdown. Startups like South African on-demand cleaning platform SweepSouth and Nigerian digital banking service Kuda have launched funds to raise cash for those in need. Other Nigerian tech entrepreneurs teamed up to crowdfund a COVID-19 relief fund with the We Are Together movement raising over 17 million naira, more than $43,000. And sharing it among over 1,700 needy people. In South Africa, the tech community launched Save Your Local, allowing people to buy vouchers from their favourite businesses to keep them afloat in these trying times.
1: African startups themselves are also in need during the COVID crisis. But help is on offer. Egyptian accelerator Falak Startups is offering up to a million Egyptian pounds, around 60,000 US dollars, in direct investment, support, and perks for startups to help them survive. Impact Investor Vital Capital has launched a debt fund for the same reason. Yet surviving will require adapting. South African fintech Yoko, for example, has announced it will make significant retrenchments, but also rolled out new online payment options in response to the impact of the virus. More on that later.
0: The general consensus is that the amount of investment available to African tech startups will likely fall as a result of the fallout from COVID-19. There have been a number of articles published on Disrupt Africa about this topic in the last couple of weeks as well as advice on how to deal with it. Yet, there's no immediate sign of a decline in investment. April alone saw numerous funding rounds. Nigeria alone had four such rounds, Genomics Startup 54 Gene, FinTech Infrastructure Startup Okra, EdTech Startup Gradely, and Logistics Startup Quick. Three startups from South Africa raised funding, Fleet Management Startup Payment24, Mobile Marketing Startup Mobis, and EdTech Startup Playsense. Rwanda's female-focused e-commerce platform, Kasha, also joined the list. Three Egyptian rounds were reported. Food tech startup, Mum, eventing startup, Eventus, and blockchain startup, Pravika. Kenya's logistics startup, Amitruck, also raised, as well as Ghanaian retail tech company, Somundi. Last but not least, Ugandan invest tech startup, Zeno. Meanwhile, the Future Africa Fund, launched earlier this year by Ian Oluwa co-founder of Andela and Flutterwave, has opened itself up to co-investors as it looks to ensure startups continue to have access to funding during these trying times. Tom caught up with Ian, better known as E, to find out more about the fund and how it works.
2: E, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining You're welcome. You're welcome. It is an absolute pleasure,
1: my brother. So we know Future Africa started life as a publication and developed into a community, and now it's a fund. Tell us how it works.
2: What we do today basically is, you know, we want to, we don't just want to talk about the future. We want to actively build it. And so what that means is we're identifying the individuals, the talent that's passionate about solving some of Africa's biggest problems. And um, turning those problems into massive business opportunities that can scale globally. Um, And that's what we do every day. We identify these founders. We invest um, money into them. Uh, We get other people to invest in them. Um, We provide them with coaching about how to raise money, how to get customers, how to build an organization, how to grow. Um, And then, you know, ultimately um, they're part of our community of entrepreneurs and supporters and partners. Uh, that help us push forward this African future every day. Tell us about your portfolio. So we have 20 companies in our portfolio today. Um, the com- so We have about $12.5 million assets under management. And um, our business is spread out across multiple different sectors, from mobility to wealth to fintech and so on and so forth. You've just opened up the fund to co-investors. Was that always the plan? So, I mean, we started to, we always had a plan to open up our fund to co-investors once we validated our process and the opportunities that we tend to take a different view on. But, you know, it's somewhat something to do much later. Now, in the wake of COVID, I think we experienced two or three funding rounds kind of ground to a halt um, where, you know, the founders were great. The traction was excellent. There was no reason for these guys not to be um, receiving investment, but for one reason or the other, the lead investors pulled back as a result of perhaps restrictive limited partners without the context about how this happens in Africa and what Africa looks like, um, or because of you know, investment committees that lack the context as well. And this was putting a number of our companies in trouble. So we decided, okay, look, instead of us wading through this crisis dependent on foreign investors and LPs, why don't we start to build a local investor base? Um, and that's what led us to accelerate the plans to open up the fund to co-investors, um, and, and it's been an amazing process so far. We've had over four hundred investors apply. Um, we're accepting uh, around a hundred of them as uh, co-investors. Um, we um, and and we put a deal on the platform with a group of pre-selected co-investors, and that deal was uh, was was delivered in seventy-two hours. So it's a very clear indicator that what we're putting out there is definitely working and there's quite a bit of demand for it. It sounds like
1: a bigger version of the angel investor networks we are seeing spring up across the continent. Is that a fair description?
2: Yes, but I think also, I think the process that we follow really does, um, it, it, it makes it a lot easier of a decision to make, in my opinion. And it also introduces the right amount of competition into the process which I think is something that's lacking in the existing angel investor network. There's too much collectivist thinking, um, which I find tends to, um, uh, there no cl- if, if there's any process where there are no clear winners and losers, um, it's often a long process and you never know who to blame. <laughs> so, so we try to go the opposite direction in the sense that it's not as collegial as your typical angel investment network. It is a competitive platform. Um, you have to move quickly to get access to the opportunities. It's not just about investing, but also I, what I like about it is that it divorces capital allocation from deal sourcing and selection, which which is always something that I've always thought should be separate. Right? Um, anybody can, you know, capital is a commodity, right? Any anybody can make money, right? What what is what is different is what is. Whether you have people who are able to allocate capital properly and people who can't, right? And that's what investors, management, investors, investor managers get paid to do—to advise their clients on on how to better allocate capital. And so, we're leveraging on our expertise allocating capital for many years in our portfolio. You know, we started with a one point five million dollar fund, and we grew it to twelve point five million dollars in under six. 4 5 years. So um, you know the way we look at this thing is really one of look um uh, you know uh, you you really want to work with us quite frankly <laughs> um and and because um, it's, it's it's your best it's your best guarantee so to speak of results um and you know look carefully at the tools we present to you but the capital allocation decision is yours right? regardless. So I think that just creates that delineation between capital allocation and deal sourcing that needs to exist in the investor world. Not everybody who has money is a master allocator of capital and not everyone who is a master allocator of capital needs to have cash. Have you set yourself any targets? Yes. Yeah, so, so our plan is to fund 20 companies every year. So, um, we will send to our co-investment network five deals every quarter. And, um, And we we plan to fund between 100K to 250K in deals. Um, You know, for us, the major goals for our fund is really to obviously fill in um, those investment slots in record time every every time, right? Um, And hopefully get to the point where we can start to deploy larger amounts of capital. Um, I mean, my goal is for this to have, you know, at least by the end of the next year, I would love to see this as a group that has disbursed at least a million dollars of capital, um, which is just 10 deals, right? Um, you know, very modest goals, I think. <laughs> um, you, know, um, uh, you know, between one and 10 million, that would gladden my heart because it would start to show that there is um, real interest in seed investing and people just needed guidance. So we
1: like to hear investors pitch to startups as well. What do you bring to the table
2: aside from the cash? I think for us, what we bring to the table is really, well, we're we're one of the only operator VCs in the market. So, you know, it's very much like um, Andreessen Horowitz when they arrived on the scene. You know, before then you had a lot of professional investors, many of which are good guys, but they've never really dealt with the rigors of building a company. Um, And so they have a different mindset when it comes to working with you, right? Um, It's more of a tell you what to do, not show you what to do. We're the kind of investors, and all our portfolio companies can attest to that, that are side by side with you in the trenches. We'll sit down in your office, we'll pitch the the sales team with you, we'll pitch investors with you, Um, we'll do whatever it takes with you, right? And build your business alongside you. So I think that's one significant way we're different. Um, Also, the benefit of the collective is that we're pulling in quite a number of very experienced diaspora investors, many of whom work in big tech in the U.S. and so deeply understand the issues and can really support with growth. And that's like an important indicator, in my opinion, because if there's one thing that your business needs more than even capital of any kind, it's the right talent and advice that can help you grow. And we bring that along with us when we invest in your business. Um, and then I would say finally, you know, our network in terms of our community of angel investors, business, um, business businesses, big businesses that can partner with you, um, government officials that can open doors for you, um, whatever it is, right, is unparalleled. And we bring that community together to basically serve your business, I can't think of a better offering than that. If you get my point, right? Uh, uh, and 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 that's what you know. That's uh, as the country starts to change into a more digital country, you really will value that network more than just another American VC or French VC or somebody else. Like being able to deploy millions of dollars into your fund. Now, are we like are we? Do we want to be the only partner at your table? No. We want to work with others, but there's something special we bring to the table from a building perspective that that no other VC right now on the market can give you.
1: It sounds like you plan to invest throughout the COVID crisis. What do you think the general impact will be on funding for African startups?
2: Um, I think initially you're going to see a lot of caution, especially with the existing players. Um, I can't blame them. Many of them are DFIs and are stretched. Um, you know, focusing on other interventions with government or so on and so forth, um, given the impact of COVID-19 all over the world, not just in Africa. Um, but I also think you're going to see a new crop of investors pop up. So I think even though you're going to have your traditional players exit the market, you're going to see a new kind of player come into the markets particularly because of the changes that are becoming apparent to them because of this COVID crisis. You know, people are using more e-commerce, people are seeing payments, um, e-payments, people are uh, having to put their wealth somewhere. So, so long as one can remain uh, in positions where people are seeing um, a practical impact of their investments on the market, their products they use every day, you're going to see a shift in the investment behavior. So I actually think a lot of people may be waiting for a dip, and there might be one, but I don't think it would be rock bottom, in my opinion.
1: Speaking of COVID-19 and responses to it, Future Africa was one part of the We Are Together initiative in Nigeria. What kind of approach did that take to providing help to those in need during this time? We started
2: by funding it. Um, And so we've had 1,800 families get a grant of 10,000 Naira, which is not a lot. It's just about, you know, $30. And and that just gives them the ability to just, you know, buy food, you know, uh, just uh, manage things the way they want for a period of time um, as they go through the lockdown. And we're looking for more support. And we started to receive more support from all sorts of people, banks, um, um, even educators have reached out, you know, wanting to do something similar. Many industries have reached out wanting to do something similar. And I think it's just an example of how the tech community can come together and solve a lot of major problems in our country. Um, and, and I'm excited to see more of that happen.
1: E, ending there, on how parts of the Nigerian startup scene are responding to the COVID-19 crisis. There's just no getting away from the fact it's going to impact every business, I guess, on the continent in some way or other. Gabriella, you've been speaking with Yoko, a flagship South African fintech, fast growing, well funded. Did they say anything about how COVID 19 has been affecting them?
0: Yes, so I spoke to Lungisa Machoba, Yoko's co founder and CTO, and he did share some really interesting insights. Firstly, he said Yoko's clients have seen an 85% drop in processing volumes. Now, As Yoko doesn't charge its clients recurring revenues, this obviously means they have seen a decline in their own revenues. Unfortunately, the result of this is that they've announced they'll have to do some retrenchments. Lungisa couldn't give me any numbers on that for now. However, he did say it would be an impactful round of retrenchments. On who's staying, who's going, he said the technical and maker talent, um, they feel is their most valuable. That's all he was able to tell me for now.
1: Sad times, but um, they have just recently launched a suite of online payment products, haven't they?
0: Yes, that's what my chat with Lungisa focused on, actually. I was able to pick his brains a bit about changing direction towards the online payments and rolling out new products as a way of weathering the crisis. So far, you've heavily been focused on serving transactions in the person-to-person space. Um, why would you say you decided to move in the kind of different direction of online payments?
3: Yeah, so I think it's been, uh, it's something that we've actually been looking at for a while. So it's interesting that you mentioned person to person. So we see online payments as being sort of uh, distinctly split into two parts. There's person-to-person and there's sort of e-commerce, which is more open to the world. And, you know, the first solutions we've kind of looked at in the, in the online payment space have actually been person-to-person, but allowing for the person-to-person interaction to happen remotely. So we're looking at, uh, we have like a lightweight invoicing style product. That allows our merchants to still sell to customers that they're in contact with via other channels. So Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, email, you name it. So, you know, we have, our, our customer base has been very innovative in terms of how they reach out to their customers during this time. And we're providing a, a person-to-person way of paying, but without the customer being in front of you. So that really is our kind of first uh, step into the space. Obviously, coming after that, we're looking at a number of e-commerce uh, offerings Uh, to support those merchants who are looking for a more broad-reaching solution. Um, It is a different game. Uh, It really, really is. But we're approaching it with the same principles that we've approached the sort of physical in-person payments game. We've always seen ourselves as being a a high-quality provider. Uh, We really look to sort of differentiate ourselves from a quality perspective. And that's something that we just want to take into the into the online space. Uh, Thankfully, we were looking at this already. Um, So it is something that we've had in the back burner. We've been sort of running very closed pilots to see how merchants engage with the product. We're typically quite slow when it comes to pilots as a company. We like to have deep learning uh, from our customers before we launch something into market. What we've effectively done is just accelerate the process of go to market. So it's stuff that was already uh, we're already looking at, but now we're moving at an accelerated cadence.
0: So for startups that had a product or service in the pipeline, let's say weeks or months down the line, should they be moving their product launch forward?
3: Yeah, I mean, for us, we we saw this period as like an interesting time to move things forward. So as a company, like uh, a certain amount of our of our mental capacity goes towards uh, the rapid scale we've been seeing. So we've been like typically doubling every single year from a customer base perspective, and this comes with all the challenges that it comes with. So if we look at our month in March, March um, leading up to the lockdown was our biggest sales month ever, right? Now that puts every system you have in a company sort of under test and uh, strain. But effectively, once we saw like at least a slight decline in that, we could actually focus a lot more of our resourcing away from the sort of purely growth oriented side to saying, cool, how do we move faster to ship the products we have? So I think in many ways, like this is a good time for companies to be engaging in product development. You know, these kinds of times, even the remote work inherent in uh, in being uh, sort of in being going through a lockdown actually allows the makers in the organization to thrive and almost push faster. So we've seen a really good energy to deliver solutions. I think as well, like if any company out there is mission oriented, then ultimately everybody in the business right now is feeling like a really strong uh, desire to drive the mission because, you know, your customers are struggling. So ultimately beyond Yoko itself, uh, we, re- we talk to our customers. Uh, we have teams talking to them daily and really just learning from the customers and the struggles they're going through is, is real. Uh, it, it far eclipses any struggle that we're going through as a company. And I think ultimately that becomes a center of passion within any organization that's focused in that way and ultimately drives you to ship and release faster. So this is really an opportunity to kind of harness your passion for your customers and use that to drive the organization and deliver things uh, that are needed at a much faster cadence.
0: So tell us, what are the things to consider when deciding on whether or when
3: to launch in this new climate? So obviously we we felt very ready. We would never have launched something that we thought was half-baked. So I think it's important because, I mean, for a company the way we see it is that your product is your brand and your brand is your product so if you release a bad product out there you're literally damaging your brand and ultimately next time people just simply won't try what you release so i think it's important to make sure that uh, you know you are you are keeping in mind the sort of long term context of what you're doing But at the same time, I think, you know, if a product you have is relevant, then it really becomes about, cool, how do I make sure it's getting the right amount of oxygen to move quickly and get to launch and get to market? And that's, I think, really what it comes down to is some things may not be 100% relevant in today's climate. So there it's like, cool, what can I do uh, to reprioritize the roadmaps inside the organization so that we're catering to the relevant needs of our customers? So I think it's, it's, I would say it's rushing, but it's more rushing in terms of like how you're allocating the focus and the talent within the company to get. To a high quality release on time. So I think that's ultimately it. So we were able to say, cool, we were looking at this, but let's look at this instead. Let's apply more energy this way versus that way. But I wouldn't ever rush to the point where, um, you know, you're, you're, you're delivering something that, forget not being proud of, but you're actually disappointed with because that's going to hurt you in the long term and uh, hurt the market's perception of you as a business.
0: What risks are there or what considerations are there to bear in mind when you're rolling out a new branch to your business at such a quick speed?
3: Even though things are going really fast and there's a lot going on, you want to slow down your thinking and really think through like what you're doing. Um, any product you release into the market is one that you're going to have to maintain and sustain going into the future. Um, or have to sort of cancel in a rather abrupt fashion for your customers should you choose not to maintain it. So it's ultimately being very careful that you're not just releasing things for the sake of that are almost, uh, you know, transient uh, solutions. So I think uh, that's kind of really important because that can be a pitfall. It feels like it's relevant now. You throw it into market, but you've forgotten that, like, uh, customers are more long-term than the, the immediate solution. So it's that second would be making sure that you have an opinion on what's happening. So, we have as a company a good opinion on what the next uh, 12 to 18 months looks like for a small business. And ultimately, this is what's shaping our decisions on what to launch. So, nothing we're launching today doesn't have a context that's broader than the immediate launch. Everything's actually looking out 12, 18, 24 uh, months ahead of where we are and making sure that we have a plan that evolves over time. So, I think that's extremely important. I think the trap sometimes is like get it to market quickly and you know, it's almost like you haven't really thought through the different uh, steps beyond that. So I think that's extremely uh, important. And then I think the other thing is just obviously like being mindful that when you're moving really quickly at a time like this, you think you know. You don't know, right? So I think we've done a lot of work in understanding our customers. We've done a lot of customer interviews, but we also understand that we don't know the shape of the pandemic. We have no idea what's gonna happen over the next 12 to 18 months, but we have a lot of good and sensible guesses informed by medical professions and uh, I guess the global trends around this. But that said, they're still educated guesses. So don't treat anything like a sure bet, but this, isn't, this is not this normal. No startup should be treating anything they do like a sure bet. But it's almost tempting in this state to, to make presumptions based on what you think you know. And it's just that acceptance of the fact that you don't know what the future holds is super important. It'll help you make more agile decisions in the way that you make them.
0: What advice do you have for startups on how to approach doing business during the pandemic?
3: Um, a lot of companies have been looking at the, the pandemic wrong in terms of how long it's going to last. And this idea that you'd, you'd, rather, you'd rather make the mistake on the side of prudence uh, versus make the mistake on the side of, uh, of hope in the situation. And I think that's going to be a real risk to a lot of businesses where it's like, oh no, it'll only be four months or it'll only be three months or lockdown won't get extended. I see that as like a killer for any business in this situation. Rather be the person who's having to call your staff and say, hey, listen, I know last month I said you don't have a job and I've given you severance, but I'm just going to suck it up even though I've paid your severance already. Come back and start working. That is a much better situation to be in as a business. Page the pod.
4: Hello, everyone. This is Samson from Ayazona. Ayazona is a Kenyan startup that offers the most affordable local delivery of restaurant prepared meals, groceries and other goods. We founded Ayazona in early 2019 to make access to food more affordable for everyone while also empowering local businesses through our logistics API to reach more customers. We are currently in the process of raising our first funding round to help us grow, expand and equip our fleet with the right gear to ensure faster, safer and seamless orders fulfilling process. We are asking for up to $250,000 in exchange for 25% equity of the company. So if you've always wanted to invest in a local startup working to directly impact the local communities. Go to ayazona.com to join me and the diverse community at Ayazona already Impacting Lives, while also eliminating food wastes. I can't wait to see you there.
0: That's all for this episode. Thanks for listening.
1: We hope you can join us for our next episode in two weeks' time. In the meantime, stay safe and stay at home. Bye. Bye.